0: Welcome to week four of The View. We are glad you're here, and if you're excited to be here, can you make some noise for being in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. Thank you for being here tonight, and uh, welcome to week four of our sermon series. We're so thankful to be able to worship with you tonight at The View on this incredibly hot Monday. It is hot outside, is it not? Goodness gracious. You stand out there for five seconds. You have a full sweat going. My name is Daniel Harris, and I serve as the pastor here of The View And we're part of Bellevue Baptist Church. And I want to welcome you here tonight. And thank you for being a part of our service and for stepping into our ministry. I've met some of you. It's your first time. We really are glad that if this is your first time, you're trying out our ministry. And we would love to get to know you. We would love to hear your story. And we would love to to connect you to the ministry, as many other students have gotten connected. There's a lot of ways to plug in deep here, to put down roots, to get to know people, to build friendships that last a lifetime. And how we as a staff and our team can connect with you is one of two ways. You're welcome to text this number on the screen. Or if you'd like to connect tonight, back there at the table, we have a gift for you. And uh, I'll be there right after the service. Would love to get to know you, hear your story, hear what brought you here tonight. Thank you for being here tonight. If you family, let's make some noise for those in the room who it's their first time. Amen. Thank you for being a part of it tonight. We're glad you're here. Now, uh, listen, I hope you will get as excited as you can with me. Let's open up in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Amen. Come on. And you're going to have to mark a second place, which means you've got to get excited again tonight. Let's also open up to Romans chapter 8 tonight. Amen. Come on. And a third place. No, I'm just kidding. We'll stop with two, but we're going to look all over tonight. So two places in Scripture, Genesis 50 and Romans chapter 8. But before we do, this is a part two. So if you were not here last week, I want to catch you up. But I do encourage you this week to check out the podcast as soon as we get that uploaded. Um, This is a part two of our sermon series, which is uh, In the Hot Seat. And you see the graphic for that behind me on the screen. So this series, let me remind you very quickly of what we've done. We have taken in your questions throughout the month of May, and we looked at which questions were asked the most, and we began to work these questions into a series where we answer them scripturally from the Bible to see what God's Word has to say about it. So every question that we answer in the series was asked by 18 to 25-year-olds in the city of Memphis. And I've told you which questions were asked the most. This part two that we're in right now was the most asked question. And the questions that we covered so far, we talked about can a Christian lose their salvation, week number one for our kickoff. Uh, Week number two, we talked about does God answer all Christians' prayers. And then last week is where you really need to know what's going on for tonight, which was if God is good, why does evil exist? A big question, is it not? It was a daunting task, but... God's word is sufficient, and we saw very clearly last week the answer to that question. Now, what we talked about last week of this contradiction that our world seems to have, that if a good God exists, why does evil exist in our world? To sum it up for you last week, which it's hard enough to walk through it in a sermon, much less sermon sum it up for you in two minutes, but we talked about how evil in itself is not a thing by itself, How evil exists as a privation, a lack, or a corruption in something good. You remember us talking about that last week, right? Raise your hand if you remember last week, right? You with me? Oh, yeah, right? It's a lack or a corruption in a good thing. Remember the examples. A tree is a good thing. An arm is a good thing. But rot to a tree is a corruption within. And a wound in an arm is a bad thing. But you cannot have a wound without an arm. And right, nobody was saying arm's a bad thing, and arm's a blessing from the Lord, but a wound is a corruption within a good thing. And that's what we see in our world. We see that God has given us free will, a good thing. God created a good thing for us, which is the free will that we have to make decisions. But just as we saw in the garden, when we have free will, we choose sin, which brings the corruption into our world that we see around us. The sin, the brokenness, the war, the poverty, what we struggle with and wrestle with in our lives. It all goes back ultimately to the sin of the garden, the corruption that is a part of our world. And so last week we stamped this down. We said, okay, evil exists within a good thing that has come from our free will. And here's where we landed. You'll remember this. And if you weren't here last week, I'm telling you, please go check out the podcast, is that God cannot destroy all evil without destroying our free will. Right, So God, last week we saw, in our world is looking to conquer and defeat evil, sin, while preserving our free will, preserving our ability to choose. And we saw that that turns us to the cross, the glory of Jesus Christ, choosing to obey the Father, dying on the cross, giving up his life for you and me, dying on the cross for our sins, and then raising from the dead so that we have hope. In that, we have a choice to repent of our sins or to continue on in corruption. So last week was a big sermon, and we see that our free will brings about the sin and the evil that we see in our world. So tonight, I want you to write this down. Here's our title. Here's where we're going. How can God turn evil into good? So we're going to build on what we talked about with this idea last week of, okay, God does not stop it, but just because it has not stopped yet doesn't mean it never will. We still have suffering in our world. We're still enduring persecution. There's still tragedies that happen in our world. It comes from the sin that we choose, the corruption within a good thing. But Scripture promises that God takes that which is bad and uses it for good. And there's a big contradiction we're going to look at, that those who are not Christians would argue against the God of the Bible. And we're going to see if we can revise the argument a little bit tonight. Now, tonight is a lot less than last week, and so I'm excited to walk through this with you. So... The first thing that I would turn your attention to in your notes, if you're writing this down, I want you to go ahead and write those two verses down if you will. Write down Genesis 50 verse 20 and then write down Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Genesis 50 verse 20 and then Romans 8 verse 28. We're going to make sure to have those down in our notes tonight as we walk through this. A a testimony from Joseph in the Old Testament and then from Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8. Now, it sometimes seems like a mystery to us why bad things happen. We don't always understand suffering, and we certainly don't always want suffering. But in the end, the reality is that suffering does exist in our world. Every single one of us in this room have lived long enough to experience a hard time. Every single one of us in here have lived long enough to experience betrayal, hurt, pain, sin, and evil in our world. And sometimes it seems that there are tragedies, that there are trauma that seem to not make any sense. In other words, there seems to be purposeless suffering. And if you ever get into conversations with those who are not Christians, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. We pray that you would believe the Bible, not what somebody says, but the Bible, what the gospel says. But we believe that our suffering is not purposeless because we have a purposeful God. Amen? Amen. Amen, it's okay to make noise in church. We believe we have a purposeful God, but how can these things exist? Now, I wanna read you this from one of the books that I've been studying on this because I think it's very good. And it's a good way to open up tonight because it's a very simple illustration and then we're gonna really dig into this question, but I love this story. I was reading this in my study and uh, the author of it is talking about a couple, Mr. and Ms. Harp, they were an older couple. And just listen to the story, you'll see where it goes. He says, that his closest neighbor was a half mile down the road, and that was the Harp family. This was during his ministry. Miss Harp and the four Harp children, they had four kids, were always faithful in attending church. So the wife went, four kids went, and it says, Mr. Harp was too busy for God. Do you know anybody too busy for God? All right, schedule just doesn't allow, doesn't allow room for it, right? Sometimes that's us. Sometimes the schedule just doesn't allow room for it. Mr. Harp was too busy for God. He was a farmer. The cows in the farm demanded attention, though most of the other farmers managed to attend both their earthly and heavenly duties. So Mr. Harp was out of the norm for not being in the house of the Lord, for not worshiping God. Other farmers would go, but he did not have time for it. It goes on to say this. One day, Miss Harp, his wife, was taken to the hospital. When I arrived, I asked for her, the nurse at the desk, and she said that Miss Harp has passed away. The pastor who wrote this said, I hurry back to the Harp residence to comfort Mr. Harp, the husband, and make plans for the funeral. I also asked him, and this is key, watch this. I asked him for his wife's Bible to find her favorite verse for the service. So you can imagine, the pastor goes to the home, talks to the husband, he's not a believer, asks for his wife's Bible. He goes and he gets his wife's Bible, brings it to the pastor. pastor gets back home, opens up the Bible, and saw these words written in the front of the Bible in fresh ink. Fresh ink. And it says, the wife wrote this, I am content to leave my loved ones in your hands, O God, knowing that your love for them is greater than my own. That was the last thing she probably wrote in her Bible before she passed away. Can you imagine? Knowing that your time on this earth is coming to an end, having a spouse or a family member you love deeply not know Jesus and you've done everything you can to witness and witness and witness and you know your time is at an end and all you can do is leave the witnessing to God is to trust the Lord with it it goes on to say this the pastor said I couldn't believe what I read I jumped in my car and went straight back to Mr. Harp to show him what very well could have been her last words she wrote after sharing them I said this to the husband I said your wife was a believer.'" And she is in heaven with Jesus today. Would you want to give your life to Christ and be with her in his presence someday as well? He said, Mr. Harp, the husband, bowed his head and in that moment accepted Jesus as his personal Savior. After that, every Sunday he joined his four children. He sat in the pew his departed loved one had occupied. The words of Miss Harp still ring in my ears today. I am content to leave my loved ones in your hands, O God, knowing that your love for them is greater than my own. He goes on to say this. I thought this was really good. We don't always see God's purposes worked out so quickly on earth. Sometimes we won't see them until we reach the other side, but God has his purposes nonetheless. Amen? And I love that because it's a simple illustration. One that comforts us, one that gives us encouragement. We've seen God do miracles, and I do pray that your faith in God increases tonight off of this word. But there are countless examples around us of God's faithfulness, and with that in mind, I want to dig into these questions. So, as we look at Genesis fifty, verse twenty, we're at the end of Joseph's life, and he gives a testimony to us. Now, as we read these scriptures, I want you to write this down. It's the question: It's is there a good purpose to all evil? The question we most commonly got asked when these questions were coming in is, is there a good purpose to all evil? Is there a good purpose to our suffering? Or is there purposeless suffering? And you're going to see the argument in a minute that is made. So Genesis 50, verse 20, you remember Joseph's life, if you're familiar with it. If you're not, it's no problem at all. At 17 years old, he was sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery by his brothers. 13 years pass. He's lied about, deceived. He gets thrown into prison. And then God, by his faithfulness, exalts Joseph to a place where he can rescue his family at the end of his life and be reunited with his dad. And Joseph, at the very end of his life, after going through 13 years of trauma and heartache and and hopelessness and a jail cell and being lied about and, and people accusing him of things that he was not guilty of, being betrayed by his own family, his own blood, his final testimony that he gives is this right here. He says to his brothers who betrayed him, you plant evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, which was the survival of many people, right? At the end of Joseph's life, he was able to spare his brothers and able to save a lot of people because of the authority that God had elevated him to. Well, what Joseph has is this perspective at the end of his life is that the suffering he went through in the pit and in the prison is what God was ultimately bringing him about to the palace, that there was a plan in place. But the palace was not really for Joseph at all. See, Joseph does not give a testimony that says, You planned evil against me, God planned it for good to bring about the present result. He does not say for me to thrive and flourish and be luxurious. That's not what he highlights. He highlights the survival of many people. And so at the end of Joseph's life, as he stands before his brothers, wrestling with whether to forgive or not, he cries about it, they hear him weeping. He says, Hey, you meant evil. Joseph, in the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis, recognizes that there is evil in our world. There's evil done by people. And yet somehow, in a way that's hard for us to understand, God planned it for good. God meant it for good. God flipped it on its head, right? An amazing testimony now you think about the New Testament, you think about many, 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 many different scriptures. Some of them we're going to look at tonight, but when you look at Romans chapter 8, it begins with talking about there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. It's a beautiful chapter in Romans. And it gets to this verse in 828 that some of us have memorized. And it says this. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who what? Love God, who are called according to his purpose. So there's a promise here. There's a promise and a condition. The promise is that all things work together for the good of those who love God. The condition is loving God, who are called according to his purpose. But what it says here, though, is that God is working all things together for those who are good. So with this in mind, when you look at the Bible, we have a purposeful God. We have a God who does not make mistakes. We have a God who did not destroy our free will but instead sent Jesus down to this earth to die on the cross for our sins and raise again, conquering sin and death, and through that we may have redemption of sins. And so let's go back to our question. Let's put it back on the screen. The question tonight is, is there a good purpose to all evil? Let's pray and we're gonna jump in. Father, we love you, and Lord, we thank you so much that your word does not return void, and God, tonight as we open up, as we talk through this truth in your word, I pray that you would speak every word. I pray our hearts would be softened to you and your voice. I pray, dear God, that we would walk away not with a just better view of our world and tragedies that happen, but ultimately, God, help us walk away with a better view of your love, a better view of your mercy, a better view of your grace, and, and God, a better view of your power. Lord, I know there are many in the room who have busy, busy lives. And Lord, many in the room who are hurting, many in the room who are battling with things that nobody else knows about. Battles and fights and trials and fears and strongholds that nobody else knows except them. Lord, I pray your word that you say you are the God of all comfort. I pray for somebody in here who has wrestled with evil, who has wrestled with the enemy, who has wrestled with temptation. I pray you would be their comfort as they seek you. Lord, I know right here in this room there are internal battles going on. And Father, we pray against the enemy. We pray against distraction. We pray against discouragement. We pray over the walls of this room that you would protect what you are doing in here and the evil one would have no place, Lord. We pray that you would bind the evil one in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, and the spirit of God from this place. And Lord, we ask that somebody would give their heart to you if they don't know you and that we would be changed because we have encountered you and your word. Father, we love you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Can we put the argument against God on the screen? And it's gonna start with, uh, this is perfect right here. So most of us have experienced what seems like purposeless pain. And this is where a lot of people get to an argument against God in our culture and in our world. This is popular on university campuses and this has long existed before the university campuses have existed in America. This is something that philosophers have talked about for thousands of years. But the argument against God when it comes to turning evil for good goes something along these lines. And you may have wrestled with this. I hope you find peace in him tonight. Number one, they would say that an all good God must have a good purpose for everything. And you ask yourself, scripturally, do you believe that statement is true? There's no trick questions here. But if we have an all good God, all good, then he must have a good purpose for everything that happens. So if this is true, this is where we get to number two. And number two says, but there is no good purpose for some suffering. You look at our world and there's tragedies, there's conflict, there's wars, there's storms, there's things that happen in our world that to us seem like make no sense. Let's be honest in church. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I want you to raise your hand if you, if you only mean it. Don't raise your hand just to go with the flow, really mean it. Have you ever had a A hardship, a trial, or have you ever suffered or experienced something in your life that you viewed as just a senseless, unfair, purposeless trial? Have you ever viewed something like that before? I have for sure. I put both hands up. We have these things happen if we're honest. We go through things that seem purposeless. Now, if that is true, if number two is true, if there are things that happen that have no good purpose at all to them, In our world, then that means number three, hence there cannot be an all good God. So if we are going through things that have no good purpose, then there cannot be an all good God. Now this is the argument, you see the question marks, this is the common argument that you see against a good God with evil in our world. Those who wrestle with evil will often say if there was a good God, he would stop all evil, he would intervene, he would stop it from happening, he would stop all suffering immediately, he would cut it out. Now as Bible-believing Christians we would agree with number one. We would agree and say that an all good God must have a good purpose for everything because an all good God can't have a bad purpose for something. Right, Cody? Does that make sense? If an all good God has a bad purpose for something, then that does not make him an all good God. See, as us as humans, like sometimes we have bad purposes for things. right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. When you asked your parents for something growing up and you're nice to them. You're not always nice just to be nice to them so they feel loved. What? You want something out of them, especially when you are turn 16. When you turn 16, everybody gets real nice to their parents, right? Start doing laundry around the house, start washing dishes, start cleaning stuff in the driveway. Why? Because you are turn 16, you're trying to get a car, trying to get something, right? As, as our, our flesh, we want to get something. We do good so that we can get something for us, right? Which is just an, an exchange. Is that real love? Right, like We have bad purposes that we play out as sinful people. We don't always have other people's best interests at heart. We lie. Lying is a bad purpose. You are deceiving somebody to gain something for yourself in most case scenarios. We have bad purposes. So an all good God must have good purposes. So we would agree with number one, where the problem comes is number two, is what I want to walk through. Can we really say there is no good purpose for some suffering? Can we really really say, hey, there are some sufferings that have no good purpose? That's what I want to challenge you on. And here's where we're going to start. So the first thing I want you to write down is this. A, we do not know the purpose for everything. We do not know the purpose for everything. Bye, mom. I love you. Sorry, my mom had to slip out tonight. A, we do not know the purpose for everything. As human beings, we have limited minds. I have a limited mind. I am very limited in my science knowledge. To your surprise, very limited. We are very limited in our knowledge. We are very limited in what we know. We do not know all the answers and purposes that exist in the universe. We are not all-knowing beings. And so, Riley, to say that there are some sufferings that have no good purpose would mean that you would have to know all circumstances around that suffering in order to be able to say that. We're limited in that kind of knowledge. We're limited in that. When a trial comes, you don't know every single thing circling around that trial. It's very, very dangerous to begin to say that something in our world happens and you know for a fact there is no good purpose for it. Why? We are not all-knowing beings. We're not. And that's a very dangerous thing. We do not know the purpose for everything. We have to establish that. And so what I wrote down in my notes, this will be on the screen, just because we don't know a good purpose for some evil does not mean there is no good purpose for it. Just because we don't know doesn't mean there is no good purpose. Now I'm not saying, listen, hear me, I'm not saying there is a good purpose yet. We're going step by step. I'm just saying we don't know. We don't know everything. We're limited beings. As we have progressed forward in human history, we have learned things that we did not once know. We've traveled to the moon. And one example I saw from this is very fascinating. Evolutionists. Once claimed, This is very fascinating. There were 180 organs with no known function in your body. That was once a belief held by evolutionists. You think about this for a minute. That means at one time they believed there was 180, right, 180 wasted, useless organs making up your body, meaning they had no purpose. And the last few years, that number, remember that number, 180. Watch this. As science has continued, Anna, to go forward, as we have grown in our knowledge, that number Of useless organs has gone from 180 to six. So, what once was believed that you had 180 organs that had no purpose in your body, over time we've realized that 174 of those do have a purpose, which means as we have studied, as time has gone on, we have been able to find a purpose where there was no purpose. Hear me for a minute. As time has gone on, we have found that there is a purpose to what we thought was wasted or senseless or useless. 180 down to just six today. And what I would pose to you, I would just pose that, is that possible when it comes to our suffering? I'm talking about the hardship and the trials that you go to. Is it possible that you just don't know what the usefulness is yet. You don't know what the plan is yet. You don't know what the purpose is yet. But what happens to us when we're in it, we're blinded, we're discouraged, we're hurt, and what happens when we get discouraged? What happens when we begin to say, man, there's no good purpose for what I'm going through. There's no good that will come out of this. This is just useless. What we've done is we've closed our heart off from being open to what God is doing and also what he's wanting to do with us. It's when you begin to say, oh, I know there's no purpose, that you begin to miss what God's purpose is. So in the same way, 180 organs down to six, they found purpose, that it's not wasted. Is it possible that as we progress through time, we begin to see that there is a good purpose to suffering? I don't know, you'll have to tell me. It's not a shock to Christians either that we don't know everything. Listen, you don't have to be a believer to know that we don't know all things, but as believers, as Christians, we certainly, certainly would say we don't know all things. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, though, says this. It says that the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. Is it possible there are some purposes not yet revealed to us as just mere human beings, but a perfect holy God has purposes in mind? Doesn't mean he he causes all things, but... Things that happen in our world, is there a purpose to it? He didn't cause for Joseph to be thrown into that pit and sold into slavery. God did not do that. Who sold Joseph into slavery? His brothers. God did not make his brothers sell them. They chose to sell. Joseph says that, what you meant for evil, not God through you. No, 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 no. His, his brothers meant evil, but it says God used it. God turned it. God flipped it. And that's the amazing thing is that God does not cause all the bad things that happen to you. We're going to get to that in a minute. But is it possible there's a good purpose at work that you just don't know yet? Because scripture goes on to say this in in Romans 11, verse 33. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. Verse 34 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Let me say that again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. If you know the story of Job, it says this in Job 42, verse 3. It says, you asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. So students, let's just agree on this, this one step tonight. That we do not know all things, but we claim to believe a God who does know all things. So is there any faith in him for being all-knowing? Is it possible the suffering you endure, the suffering you and I see in our world that there's a good purpose that we have not yet come to discover? Is it possible not even saying it is yet, is it possible? I think we would all agree, yes. So let's add another layer. So A was, let me recap, A, we as human beings, we, we do not know the purpose for everything. But B, we often discover a good purpose for suffering way after the fact. Way after the fact. It says that Joseph was faithful in the pit. He was faithful in the prison. He was faithful to the Lord. The Lord's favor was on him. He ran from temptation. He chose to seek after the Lord. But in those moments of suffering, that's not when you hear the testimony. At the end is when you hear the testimony. And as Joseph looks back on his life, he sees why he had to go through the things he had to go through. And I think for some of you in the room, there are things that have happened in your life that at one time you did not understand, yet now as you look at it, you do. I think for a lot of us in the room, if we're honest, this is just your personal testimony and mine, I think there are some trials that you look back on and you didn't like them then, you wouldn't wanna go through them again, you wouldn't, maybe wouldn't wish them on anybody, but as you look at it, you can say, I see some good that came out of that. I see how God drew closer to me in that suffering. Hey, that hard time, that trial, I see how God leaned into me a little bit. I see how God stirred my heart towards him a little bit. God made me a more holy, sanctified person in that time. You know what? I became a person who loves my neighbor a little bit more because I went through that. Or let me ask you this. Have you ever in your life gone through something, didn't know why you went through it, hated it, and then down the road, somebody else was going through it, and it just so happened that they were looking to you for guidance in that exact thing you were going through. If you haven't been there yet, keep living, you will. That what you walk through, somebody else is needing your help in walking through it. I love this quote. I wanted it to read. So this is my last quote from the book that I've been studying. It's not crazy long, but he says this. He says about the unexplainable. Many evils that have happened in our lives at the time were unexplainable, but later become explainable. Later in Joseph's life, we saw the hand of God in it all. Certainly, Joseph did not know why he was sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers. Later, however, he was able to say to them, our verse tonight, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Indeed, and then he quotes this, Hebrews 12, verse 10, 11. He says, indeed, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12. If you wanna write that reference down, Hebrews 12, verse 10 and 11. Most of us have lived any length of time can think of several unhappy incidences that turned out in the end to be for our good. C.S. Lewis says this about the voice of God. I'll put this quote on the screen, he said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but God shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Even physical pain, I'll be honest with you, physical pain is not all bad. We hate physical pain. We do everything in, this, in our culture to avoid physical pain, but what's very fascinating when you study it is that not all physical pain is wasted. For example, warning pains A toothache is a good pain that warns us of something worse and gives us a chance to correct the problem. A sharp pain in the chest can be a warning of a potential heart attack. A pain in the lower right side can prevent death by a burst appendix. See, even a lot of our physical pain that we endure is not wasted because it is a warning of something else that we have to get checked out. Isn't that amazing that in pain, we find purpose? So is it possible that in our pain and our suffering, Even when it seems purposeless, there's a purpose. Now, let's build one more layer. Only got two more. C is, an all-knowing God knows the purpose for everything. So we agree on this tonight, this idea of is there a purpose to all the evil that happens in our world? Well, number one, we don't know everything. We're very limited. And number two, oftentimes, when we don't see a purpose at the beginning, that purpose comes later, right? A lot of times, suffering We don't know why we're in it, but it leads to something good later. So time is on our side a lot of times when it comes to finding out the purpose. But an all-knowing God knows the purpose for everything. I'll be honest, when I was living for the world, when I was lost, a lot of the major events that happened to me, a lot of the minor events that happened to me were God trying to get my attention. And God will try to get your attention. We talked about last week, God will not force Anyone to freely accept him, that's a contradiction. But that he is trying to get your attention to love him, to know him, to walk with him, to live out his purpose, which is far greater than your own. And now as a believer, God continues to do the same thing. He tries to get our attention. So we come to this idea of a trial. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 say this. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God does not tempt us, but God does allow us to be tested. Why? Because he is working out something good in you. He is molding and shaping you and sanctifying you and growing you, but what's so sad about a lot of us and what's so sad about college students as I work with you so closely each week is that you you are so afraid You are so afraid sometimes, and I am so afraid sometimes of being uncomfortable. We're so afraid of being tested. We're so afraid of any kind of trial, any kind of hardship, any kind of uncomfortability. And what that does is when you're afraid of God sending you through a trial, you end up running from it and finding your comfort in something else, and you begin to look whatever you worship like. Whatever you worship, you begin to look like it. And if you worship God in your trial, you begin to look like Jesus in the midst of your trial. And what's so crazy about sermons like this is for some of you, you came in that door tonight and you are carrying the hardest, heaviest stuff that you can imagine. And I know some of you, as you hear me say this, you don't even know if you really believe it. Like some of you do not believe this. Some of you believe in a God. Some of you believe in Jesus. You believe in the gospel. But when it comes to those hardships and those sufferings and those trials, you're holding on to that, that hard heart. I'm not mad at you. What we go through is hard. I've been through it myself. But you're holding on to saying, nah, nah, Daniel. I understand there's good purposes for some things, but there's some things that happen and God has no good purpose for it. That's unfair. And if that's the case, then He cannot be an all good God. If He's an all good God, that means He is good when we are on the mountaintop, but He's also good where? In the valley. It doesn't make the suffering that we go through any easier. It doesn't make it any hurt any less. It's still a reality. That pain is still there. But when you have faith, you are not crushed. And some of you go through your lives feeling like you cannot put one foot in front of the other sometimes and it's because you're so crushed and so weighted down with discouragement and doubt and fear. You're so weighted down, and it's because what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Tozer said that. That if you have bitterness stored up in your heart towards God for something that somebody else did to you, for something that's happened in this world, it is affecting your view of God, and it will keep you from drawing near to him. And then as we talked about last week, that's where one day we have a family, Right? One day we have spouses, one day we have kids, one day we have careers. And when it gets busy, if we've placed our comfort in that career or comfort in our family, when it gets busy, God gets pushed to the side. And we don't really make time for it, right? We, we make sure to hold on to that hour a week in church, but we don't visit and spend time and walk with God during the week. And then what happens, college students, what I'm so afraid of is that we end up doing what a lot of our parents did. God is an hour a week at church and the rest of the week is you and your career, you and your family, you and your hobbies. What I want to push you to is do you believe there's something greater for your life? There's a greater purpose than just having amazing hobbies. There's a greater purpose than just an amazing career. There's a greater purpose than just an amazing family because all of those things can pass away. All of those things will, but God will not pass away. This earth may pass away, but we have a home for us in heaven, and that is where we place our faith. That is why we store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. And man, I don't know who the Lord is speaking to in this moment. I do know there is hurt, and there is trauma, and there is pain in this room, and I am imploring you and telling you that what you have gone through is very real, but so is God. What you have experienced, the pain and hurt, is very real, but so is the comfort of God. The trial that you have been through is very real, but so is the healing that comes from Jesus Christ. And man, I do pray, whoever it is, for all of us, to be honest in this room, that our hearts would soften to God, that we would cry out in faith. See, Abraham in the Old Testament in Genesis had faith that God was just. He had a reason to believe that God was just. Look at this screen. Look at this verse. This is when Abraham voices faith in who God is, God's character when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah. He says this, he says to God, You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the riches and the wicked alike. He says, You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Hear me. I'm not calling you to a faith that is unreasonable, I am calling you to a faith that is supernatural. But you have reason to believe. You have reason to trust who God is, that his character is an all good God, that he is just. And that means in your suffering and in your trial, he is all knowing, which leads us ultimately to D, an all good God has a good purpose for everything. An all good God has a good purpose for everything. Doesn't mean he causes all things. We have free will. But God can turn all things for good. Now, that's stout, it's hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to practice. Let's revise the argument then. The argument that we began with. Can we put the original argument up there for just a second real quick, what we began with? We'll track that down. Very simple. We're going to change around a couple of things with this argument for a minute. So the original argument, we can go ahead and put one, two, three up there. The original argument where we stood was an all-good God must have a good purpose for everything, But there is no good purpose for some suffering. We don't know all things. Later we find out good purposes later. And then number three, hence there cannot be an all good God. Let's revise this. Let's change this. I want you to write this down. So how we would change this based on what scripture teaches about God is that number one, though we don't know a good purpose for evil, does not mean there is none. Even though we don't know the purpose, doesn't mean there is none. Just because we don't know doesn't mean there is none. Now, number two, an all-good God knows a good purpose for everything, including evil. So he knows, including for evil. God knows a good purpose for everything. Underneath this, we'll put some evil seems to us to have no good purpose. All right, this is number two in the revised argument. Some evil seems to have no good purpose to us. However, but in an all good God has a good purpose for everything. And what that means is, so even evil that seems to have no good purpose does have a good purpose. I'll let you write this down. I'll let you take a picture of it. This is how we would revise this argument. Even though some things seem to have no good purpose, if we believe that an all good God has a good purpose for everything, that means even the evil that seems to be purposeless does have a purpose. Now, this means that no matter, right? Here's a big statement. No matter how tragic the event, God can turn it and use it for good. Some of you have been through some really hard things and you hate that statement. I understand that. I'm sensitive to that. I get that. Some of you have been through some really, really tough stuff, and you would say there's no way God could turn that and use it for good. What I'm telling you is, if you don't believe the gospel, that's one thing. But if you believe the gospel, the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God's son, who was fully God and fully man, died on a cross. He was crucified, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crucified at 9 a.m., lifted up his spirit at 3 p.m., served sour wine. He suffered. The greatest servant suffered. We have a God who weeps. We have a God who bleeds. Jesus suffered. And Jesus is the only one who did not deserve that death. Jesus was sinless. Jesus never sinned. Every single one of us have sinned. In fact, if it wasn't for the shed blood by Jesus on the cross and our faith in him, we wouldn't stand a chance before a holy God. Try for two weeks to stack up more good than bad in your life. You wear out real quick trying to climb that ladder, real quick. And how it happens with sin is you mess up once, mess up again, it just snowballs. And then you feel like, all right, well, this is all for nothing. I need to quit. It's real hard to work your way up that ladder. But through Christ coming down, we have hope. So what I would tell you is that the most tragic event in human history was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because it is the most undeserving event that has ever happened. Perfect and sinless, yet murdered by man. And yet it's in that, as a part of God's plan, turning man's evil and using it for good, that God took the worst, most tragic thing that's ever happened and made it the greatest thing that's ever happened. Because through that death on the cross, that sin that's been on your mind tonight, that stronghold that's been on your mind, that darkness, that pain, that hurt you can't seem to conquer, Jesus died for that, then rose from the grave so that you have freedom and power over that in his name. And aren't you grateful for that? Amen? You have power and freedom over that now because of Christ. So what I'm offering up to you is this. If God could take the crucifixion of Jesus, sinless and undeserving, he take our place on the cross, resurrect and turn it into the greatest thing for us ever, then an all good God who is all powerful and all purposeful can take the evil we see in our world and he can turn it for good, no matter how evil it seems to be. Why? Because in the end, the devil will not win. God has already won. Evil will not win. Evil will be defeated. Let's keep going so we can land this plane. Romans chapter five, verses three to four say this. Paul says, we covered these verses just a few weeks ago. Not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance, oh, I lost my place. Endurance proves character, and proven character produces hope. I read a a story of a young man who was dying of terminal cancer, and when they asked him about his future life that he was Losing to the sickness, he said this quote, and I've never forgotten it. The quote is the staircase one. It says, uh, I do not believe the divine architect of the universe ever builds a staircase that leads to nowhere. On his deathbed as he's dying from cancer, he says, I do not believe the divine architect of the universe ever builds a staircase that leads to nowhere. So let's go back to our revised argument for the night. Number two, an all good God knows a good purpose for everything. So that means, number three, therefore, there is a good purpose for all suffering, even that which we cannot now explain. My last two things is this. We just had it on the screen. We can put it back up. It says that, to sum it up tonight, an all-knowing God knows the end of all things, and an all-good God wants to bring all things to a good end, and an all-powerful God can bring all things to a good end. Therefore, all things, including suffering we don't understand, will come to a good end if not in this life then in the next. And all God's people said, Amen. I'll give you one more verse. It's an incredible verse. I hope that you'll cheer and applaud for this. It's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. It says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And all God's people said, amen. I should be grateful for the Lord turning evil into good. Even if we don't see it in this life, we see it in the next My application to you is, do you believe the characteristics about God? Because that's the most important thing about you. Do you believe that he's all good? If you believe there is bad to him, then you will doubt if you can trust him. Do you believe he's all powerful? Do you believe he can do it? And do you believe that the suffering we endure in this world is leading to a victory